guys, it's a Lament Configuration, it's December 2017, and can you believe it, we're at the end of the year already, it's unbelievable. Uh, my name is Greg Knox, and I'm joined as always by someone who likes horror as much as Peter Southcliffe likes killing whores, it's our isn't body count girl reoffend. Nice intro, Greg. <laughs> it's good to be back, and I can't believe, I don't know where this year has gone, um, and as Greg said, I love counting horror movie deaths, just like Greg Knox loves jelly films. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. I do like my jello, indeed. Um, yeah, like I said, I don't know where this year has gone. Like, it's been a year since we started um, recording the show together, and now we're at the end of 2017 and summarising a lot of awesome films that I can't wait to talk about. Exactly, and we've got a lot to cover over the next 90 minutes or so, so um, for those of you who don't know, um, on this show today we're covering the second half of 2017, so on a previous episode we covered the first six months, and indeed we've covered Fright Fest, we've covered the London Film Festival, and we've covered Cult of Chucky a couple of times, so those won't be covered, so this is basically everything else. Mm Mm-hmm. Plus, we already covered the first half of 2017, which um, you should all check out if you haven't already listened to that. It does widely contribute towards the next episode that we'll be putting out, which is our top 10 and bottom 5 of 2017, which I'm very excited about. Yes. Um, So, without further ado, let's crack on with things. So... um horror has been very very successful in 2017 horror has basically been keeping hollywood afloat amid kind of people getting charged with sex offenses and you know all that kind of thing um horror is very very profitable this year um there are in fact six films that were top of the u.s box office this year yeah yeah and like i'm so happy that this year is like 2017 is apparently the year of horror i'm so happy about it Yes, and we've already covered two of those films, so we've already covered Get Out and we've already covered Split, so uh, the most profitable film of the year, may as well start with that one, which is It, which as you all know is the adaptation of the Stephen King novel, it was previously a TV miniseries in 1990. And it's directed by Andy Muschietti, who had previously directed Mama, which I did not like. I'm not going to uh, I haven't seen that one yet, but it's definitely on my to-watch list. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Um, but there's sort of issues that I had with Mama, which do arise in this film as well. Um, so most of you will have probably seen this film already. So Ria, what did you think about this one? Okay, well, apparently it is the highest grossing, grossing horror film of all time. But it's topping The Exorcist, um, which had come in at something like $440 million globally. Um, And I think domestically, um, it has taken $500 million and is probably still going up. Um, Personally, I really loved this. I mean, the original, um, starring Tim Curry, I really loved as well. It has such character. It was very scary it it definitely shaped my love of horror growing up i'm also a huge fan of stephen king i think he writes amazingly and there are so many amazing film adaptations of his work 
and it's the 1990 version was always up there in my favourites of his adaptations and of horror in general. I first watched the original when I was nine years old, so it definitely is one of my all-time favourites, and I was not disappointed with this film. Stylistically, effect-wise, um, visually, and in terms of um, the changes that they've made to contribute to the original in a newer form, um, were definitely all on point. I know there was a lot of criticism for this, that it wasn't as charming as the original and that there were some changes that people didn't like, but on the whole I thought this was an amazing horror film. It ticked all the boxes and it's not surprising that so many people paid money to see this and it is the highest grossing horror film of all time. I mean that alone is a huge achievement and it has definitely contributed towards the horror genre in films that, as you have so rightly um, started the show by talking about. Yeah, I mean, clowns are very, very popular for some reason. I don't know why. So it came along at just about the right time in the zeitgeist, I think, and that's probably why it's sort of so popular. Um, interesting, like, because I saw the miniseries when it was first on Sky One here, mm -hmm. and yeah. I remember it being really scary. Now, I watched it again very, very recently, and I've got to say, Tim Curry is still awesome. Yeah. And if you take out Tim Curry and the sections with the kids, the sections of the kids are quite good. The bits where they're adults are not very good. In fact, I would go to say they're kind of a bit tedious, which kind of does ruin the whole thing. So this part, however, in comparison to in the TV miniseries when they were kids, I thought the characters were a lot more well-rounded. So in the original, all you know is one of them's got a stutter and one of them's fat and one of them is like, um, he thinks he has asthma and he doesn't. One of them's Jewish, one of them's black, one of them's kind of a wise guy and there's a girl and that's it. And that's kind of really all you need to know about them. Whereas this yeah. one, it kind of goes and it expands their characters a bit more. And I really, really like the child performances in this. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, I know that apparently in the book there's a lot more, like there's some kind of orgy with the girl in it. Yeah. With all of these guys. <laughs> now, in this new version, so in the original, that really wasn't played up like that. Um, it was really more of a kind of, um, you know, it was l low key on that front and it was more about the relationships between the kids being friends and it was all very much like a feel good in that aspect of things. Um, very iconic of the 80s kind of coming of age sort of feel good story going alongside this horror element. Um, but in the new one, they did play up some kind of sexual abuse from her father. Um, and there was that sexual element there, which did take a very different sinister tone. But apparently the, what was written by Stephen King in the book was much darker. So this is kind of middle, mid-range in terms of that sexual content. But I think a lot of people felt that that wasn't needed to be brought to this modern remake. Um, some people didn't like the look of the new clown. Uh, I think personally this kind of Victorian angle and the whole weird creepy smile that he has is really suitable for this version of it um i do think that nobody does it as well as tim curry still and the traditional kind of primary colors of the original do seem to be really creepy although technically it looks like a much more normal happier traditional clown and you know quite a low budget in a way this one is like 
a much more detailed version. It's been more f well thought through. But I do feel like it's a really good transition for this modern version. Yeah, I mean, what people have to take into consideration is that the original is a miniseries made for television. So it's got that kind of made-for-TV aesthetic. I think Tim Curry, his performance kind of elevates the material, and that's what makes it so memorable. In terms of whether Tim Curry is better or Bill Skarsgård is better, I mean, they're very kind of different in a way, even though they're playing the same character. So Tim Curry is very kind of... He has a lot more authority and a lot more presence, whereas yeah. I think Bill Skarsgård is going for more of a kind of creepy vibe. Um, yeah. Later on, when the story becomes, you know, the next film in 2019, when they're adults, I don't know if he's going to be kind of... I don't know if he's going to have the same gravitas that kind of Tim Curry has because obviously you've got to bear in mind he's not a the character is not a clown it's just how the entity has chosen to present itself so yeah, it's actually detailed in the summary of the film as a shape-shifting monster which takes the appearance of a clown and begins hunting children so that's like your basic summary for the entire film yeah, I do wonder, like, when it gets to the second half, uh, what Andy Machete's going to do with, like, the giant spider, because it can't look any worse than the one in the TV miniseries, I guess because of budgetary constraints, it just looks like a shit CGI spider, which is kind of what it is, really. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the first half of the miniseries, as you so rightly said, it stands the test of time, it still stands up now, it's still amazing. Tim Curry makes Pennywise, um, without that performance it wouldn't be what it is. And I do feel like this modern version of Pennywise does equally bring something to that character and the shape-shifting monster. But you are so right with the original one. The second half was disappointing, it was back then and it still is now when you rewatch it, it's still the same. I still feel the exact same way about it as I did the first time I watched it so here's their opportunity to make the second part that much more like to bring much more to it I don't think they'll go down the spider route as you say and with the whole float situation in this first film like again without trying to spoil anything because we are trying to do the show spoiler free I guess that most people listening to the show have seen it the whole kind of floating theory was quite differently adapted in this modern version of the film and I think they will do a different take on the spider that was in the original something much more interesting but who knows if it will be what the classic fans want or if they will feel that it's not relevant we shall see yeah i mean overall i would say the performances by the children are really good a lot of people have compared this to stranger things now i haven't seen stranger things i know that there is a cast member shared between it and stranger things yeah. that's about it mm -hmm. um performances of the adults they're kind of a little bit less kind of important so they're just kind of there for like a scene or two i think the performance mm -hmm. of bill skarsgård is quite good not quite as good as tim curry i still prefer tim curry also tim curry's character actually looks like a clown whereas yeah. Pennywise in this just looks like some kind of weird demon clown thing. There's no way anyone would confuse this with like a real clown. Yeah, true. I agree. And the, the whole with the the child actors in this, it does have this stand by me sort of yeah feel that too to it, yeah, which is the appeal of. I mean, you're really drawn into those characters um, and their relationships together, which I think is why some people objected to the sexual connotations of the remake. Um, and obviously they were much more in the way of special effects, which would be 
less close to real life and less believable where i feel like the original miniseries was a bit more psychological so i think some people maybe slightly resisted that but there's no denying that this is an amazing film throughout and it, it has put horror back on the map again for 2017 and even casual horror fans are much more interested again and went to see this and loved it so i think that speaks volume yeah i mean one of the issues i had with mama is that really bad cgi for the ghosts sort of characters near the end and there's a lot of kind of cgi in this as well there's a lot of jump scares as you would expect from a modern horror film there's scenes that are mirrored from the miniseries that are improved in this this film is far more cinematic so for example there's the scene with the blood coming out of the sink that is way better in this version than the uh the tv series i i think anyway well, yeah, I mean, I did like it, but I love the original as well. And I thought there were some brand new parts of the new film, like the projector scene and also the sort of scene with the fridge where he comes out there. And I thought they were excellent scenes. And some of the scenes inside the house with the floor falling down, I thought they were amazing too. So there are some um, excellent parts that are added to it and some remakes of the original like the library scene which have been done just as well if not slightly better as you say about the bathroom scene yeah um i mean i enjoyed the film overall i thought for a mainstream horror film it's it's really good i had issues with it i don't think it's perfect by any stretch of the imagination but i mean the next part they've got a very low bar to cross so yeah Mm -hmm. i'd be uh definitely looking forward to that one now in terms of mainstream horror It shares a screenwriter and it shares the composer with the next film we're going to discuss, which was also number one in the US box office at one point this year, which is Annabelle Creation, which is directed by David F. Sandberg, who directed Lights Out and is kind of, I don't know, James Wan's boy, I guess, for lack of a better kind of term. He's just like... If James Wan can't do it, you may as well get David F. Sandberg to do it because, to be honest with you, this is very, very similar to The Conjuring. It's very similar to The Conjuring 2. I haven't seen Annabelle yet. I'm going to have to subject myself to it at some point. But, <laughs> you know, to be honest, James Wan may as well have directed this himself. I don't see any difference between any of the previous Conjuring films and this in style. Yeah, so it's technically the origin story of Annabelle the Doll, which is a spin-off from The Conjuring. And with this universe, they're going to just keep going as we will talk more about when we talk about what's coming up in 2018, perhaps, um, in our next shows. Um, But yeah, this universe just keeps expanding and they keep making more. And like you say, it is mainstream horror. It does attract a lot of um, casual horror fans. It does keep ticking those boxes. It's the latest franchise that has become known in the likes of... um, saw franchise and other recent ones that we've had like final destination um and i think i find them very enjoyable i know you don't love them because they don't have that je ne sais quoi (laughs) i would say well i don't like them because they're just jump scares and i mean a lot of the films that they're evoking i prefer the influences like and to be honest they're all kind of the same they're all about children they go into a creepy house one of them gets possessed there's lots of jump scares that's basically all of them 
Yeah, basically, you are right. And if you like one of them and you want to see that kind of thing again, then going to see the next one in the franchise, it will tick those boxes. You're not going to be disappointed, but you're also not going to be surprised. So I can see where you're coming from. Personally, I like the aesthetic. You can see even by the posters that they're all shot in this similar style, coloured in this similar way. Um, they're always possession films, as you say. I quite like a creepy doll film myself. <laughs> think it's kind of fun um it's good escapism i like a good jump scare especially on the big screen and i like to see what they've written in these films and how they've incorporated twists and where the new characters are coming from but it's fairly predictable in terms of the franchise once you've seen the first one for me as i liked the first one of each of these types of new mainstream horror franchises such as this and insidious and anything else in that kind of category um i'm quite happy to part with my money and go and watch it on the big screen just for for kicks so it's not like my favorite film of the year it's not nothing that surprises me it's not revolutionary but i do like them so it's a yes from me yeah i mean i guess it's well made and stuff i mean but it's just very kind of boil in a bag i guess for lack of a better term it's just yeah, like you said, you know exactly what you're getting. Not, I know we're going spoiler-free on this show, but basically there's a thing that, well, it appears in the film and you're just wondering, is this going to be the next spin-off? Are they going to do a, a uh, standalone film with this thing in it? Because that's kind of the stage that we're at now, where any kind of possessed thing it's just all like amityville it'd be like amityville like i know one of the amityville horror films was about like a it was an evil like light so like a a bedside lamp is that gonna be like you know the next thing it'd be like how did this bedside lamp become possessed and stuff like that so it's just (laughs) so oh great it's at that point now yeah it kind of is and like you say it might be getting a little excessive in terms of Maybe they need to do something new, but if there is still demand for it and there is still money in that, then they're going to keep making it. And I haven't hated any of the movies and thought that they should stop, but it's nothing new and revolution, like you say. Because now you've got like Insidious, Conjuring, um, and then spin-off from that, Annabelle, and these are all still continuing in very similar ilks, very similar styles, to the point where I almost get confused between all of them, which one's which. And you've got Ouija as well. So, yeah, oh. I mean, just start to cross over a little, and all the people who make it all have crossover in um, producing, writing, creating these films. It's all starts to become fairly similar, but I do still like them all and feel like they have a valuable contribution to the genre. Yeah, I would say apart from Marvel, like the Conjuring universe is the only expanded universe that's actually worked. So DC, everyone knows about all the issues that DC have had. Uh, this uh, Universal Monsters franchise that they tried to start and failed miserably, and who knows oh, what's yeah. going on with that? Um, crashing and that burning, failed. I believe. Yeah. yeah, crashing and burning. So I mean, at least this is way more successful than that has ever been. Yes, uh, another successful franchise which had been on hiatus for a while originally it was going to be called saw legacy but then it turned out it was actually called jigsaw uh, which is the newest saw film which came out this year it's directed by michael and peter spearig who previously directed predestination which i quite liked um Rhea, what were your thoughts on this one 
Yeah, so Jigsaw, I've been looking forward to this for some time, actually, and <clears throat> it's the seventh film in the franchise, as you so rightly say, so they are getting a lot of mileage out of this, which I'm both equally disappointed and thrilled about at the same time, because I do love the franchise, but every time there's a new one, I'm thinking, is it going to be as good? Am I going to be impressed? Is it going to ruin it for me? And like you say about the Saw, whole Saw legacy thing, I really do feel like they've changed the title and they're jumping on that origin story bandwagon much like Leatherface have done this year which we'll come to later we'll talk about that um, so I was kind of again equally thrilled and disappointed that it goes back to talk about Jigsaw as the character himself and how he came about um, once again as I've said with Annabelle Jig, uh, Saw and Jigsaw is of a franchise that I really enjoy. I've loved it for many years. I've kind of grown up watching that. Um, it's something that I've always, I've been seeing every single one at the cinema. So I actually do really love this franchise. I love the fact that there are rules in these films, that there are games that whilst you're watching the film, you're problem solving. You're trying to see what the twists are. You're trying to understand how you would feel in that position. And that's why I feel that this is such a successful franchise and I honestly do hope that they go on to make another one because I did enjoy this one didn't think it was as good as the first few Saw films but I do still think it was really enjoyable thought it was a solid horror film and a great addition to the franchise didn't hate it but did find that I knew what the twists were and I predicted what would happen which is usually the case with this because once you've seen one it does start to follow a similar pattern in a way how did you find it Greg I know you're not a huge fan of the franchise no I like the franchise but I mean to be honest if Saw 5 and Saw 3D hadn't put you off this wasn't going to put you off you're going to pretty much watch anything with Saw written on uh, on exactly. the title so there you go um as far as this one like most of the source sequels post three it does feel very kind of csi like it's all about policemen they're investigating something and yeah it's got all the sort of typical sort of saw tropes uh this one isn't as ugly looking as some of the previous films like um at least it was sort of shot properly and it looked kind of nice um it was just, it is what it is. It, it, with Saw films, you kind of know what you're getting into at this point. You either love it or you don't. So if you like Saw, by all means, watch this one. It's fine. It's not going to like change your life or anything. But hey, it's probably mid-range in terms of kind of the sequels that have come out. Yeah, I agree with you on the disappointing elements being the characters are a little wishy-washy as usual like i never really warmed to any of the detectives that much um only some of the victims that i've really enjoyed watching and learning about as a character but in terms of the detectives um the csi feel to it <laughs> that's that is a little like you say boil in the bag it's a little wishy-washy um, I could take those characters and the the dialogue or leave it because it's really not, it doesn't stick in my mind at all. So that's slightly disappointing. But I mean, with the actual contraptions and games in this film, I did enjoy that. There was a lot of really surprising gore, which I think brings a lot of value to that film. Um, quite shocking. And that's what I like about Saw. So yeah, overall, decent, really good. Yeah, it was alright. I mean, the story makes no sense whatsoever, and there's huge, huge plot contrivances, like, how could the killer have known this? How could the killer have known this? Which I think is probably mm. typical of all the Saw films, to be honest, because it does require 
people to just have like an encyclopedic knowledge of all these people they're kidnapping and torturing and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was alright. Yeah, it's pretty decent. So. Um. So yeah, so uh, moving on. So that one was also number one at the box office. Now our last film, which was number one at the American box office, is a film that well isn't based on a pre-existing franchise, although it has been released by Blumhouse, who again have had an excellent 2017. This is Happy Death Day, which is directed by Christopher Landon, who has worked on most of the Paranormal Activity films as a writer. He also directed Scout's Guide to the Zombie Apocalypse. Um, so make of that what you will. Um, it's basically Groundhog Day if it was a slasher film, which I feels like this premise has been done before, but I can't remember exactly off the top of my head when. But I actually like this one more than I thought I would. Yeah, same. I mean, um, so the alternate poster and alternate name in France, because I recently visited Paris and saw the poster when I went past, is Happy Birth Dead, which I found quite hilarious. Um, and like you say, it is Groundhog Day, and it, it's, for me, it's breathing new life into the genre of slashers, um, because I thought this was surprisingly good. I didn't expect it to be amazing, I was prepared to be disappointed, um, but it drew me in with uh, producers of Get Out, The Purge, and The Visit being have, having worked on this, and I thought that visually it looked quite strong, and I wasn't disappointed. I thought it was actually a really great film overall. Again, not one of my favourites, but ticking all of the boxes. Excellent slasher film overall, if you love slashers. Um, quite a scary um, killer-like mask and yeah. visuals. Some decent jump scares, and I loved the concept and thought it was very creative. It's like baby so, face, isn't it? Yeah, it's really cool. In some ways, it kind of reminded me of The Purge, like one of the masks from The Purge. Um, the kind of like casual clothing, like hooded hooligan in a strange baby face mask, that sort of concept. Um, but yeah, it was decent. I thought it had a great, some great um, characters in it, and other um, subplots running alongside the the murder. Um, again, fairly predictable at the end once you know the sort of beginnings of the plot and what you're looking for in this kind of slasher suspected murderer um but still has some interesting twists and very creative as i said yeah it is one of those films where you've got a character who's really really unlikable and who's a total bitch and then throughout the film they kind of learn the error of their ways and they become a better person throughout which is fair enough i'm not really a fan of that kind of storyline trope but hey whatever um i like you did guess who the killer was very very early on it's always someone who appears to be normal it's always them it's never someone who's a bit mental yeah, they're always introduced quite gently at the beginning, somewhere really yeah. at the beginning, but not mentioned much since then, probably. And then it, it transpires at the end that it was this quiet person, you know. Yeah, and they always have like some reason that why they did this thing, which kind of makes sense, but sort of, uh, okay, you could have gone about this a slightly different way than killing them over and over and over and over again, but oh well. Uh, like you, I thought the film was quite enjoyable, it's not going to change your life or anything, but I thought it was quite a nice deviation on the slasher formula, especially for a modern slasher film. 
Yeah, and it does have nostalgic feel of decent 80s slashers, the ones that we know and love, um, but with a modern twist and does keep you guessing. So overall, a solid horror film would recommend. Cool. So in terms of other movies that came out in cinemas this year, I just wanted to quickly mention one, which is The Ritual, which is directed by David Bruckner. Now, this is his, as far as I'm aware, this is his first full length feature film. He has directed sort of short stories and stuff like Southbound and VHS. He directed the first story in VHS, which is the one that everyone says is the best, but I hate all the characters. So oh, I still yeah. haven't seen VHS, but I did see Southbound and really enjoyed that, so I would recommend Southbound. Uh, this one, it's British, I think, although the director's American, but it's got British actors in it and things like that. Story is a group of friends. One of them dies. He wanted to go to Sweden to go hiking. So his friends all decide to do that in his memory. They go to the woods. They get lost. And shit basically happens from there, as is pretty typical in films like this. But I thought this was quite well done. Again, not probably going to change your life, but I thought, you know, it was pretty decent for what it was. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a decent film. Oh, there was one standout actor who's a Mancunian in it who I loved, just cause, mainly because it reminds me of home. <laughs> and I love hearing about actors, up-and-coming actors, that have um, made it into, you know, widely shown horror films, general release ones, that are from, like, my hometown. He's even from where he's from where my family live, like, round the corner. So I thought that was pretty awesome and found him very likeable. Um, I thought the, like, relationship and banter between the guys and the backstory was quite interesting did find it a little kind of Blair Witch in places and a bit um what was that troll movie that was out years ago oh troll hunter yeah I found it a little bit like that as well in in many ways um but still an interesting new spin um not something that I would watch repeatedly um but interesting overall did enjoy it and quite enjoyed watching it on the big screen yeah, I mean, it reminded me of Blair Witch. It reminded me in some ways of like Kill List. It's got kind of that kind of aesthetic, uh, particularly sort of near the end. Uh, there were certain things about the film that annoyed me, but they seemed to mostly take place sort of near the end. And the last two minutes I found absolutely hilarious, but I can't really go into without spoiling the film. Um, so not perfect, but again, sort of for a mainstream sort of horror film, I thought it was all right. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, but yeah, pretty decent. I do like British horror. I like it that it, it puts British horror on the map. Um, the actor who is the Mancunian guy from Stockport is called Robert James Collier. So shout out to him. <laughs> He's been in Downton Abbey and Coronation Street before. So I think that this is an excellent move on that part. Did, did find him quite humorous as well. All right. So he's uh, graduated from soaps to horror. Not the first time that happens this year, because we're going to bring up some something that happens very similar to that a bit later on, uh, in a bad movie. And speaking of bad movies, um, this is the traditional part of these shows where we go through some of the bad films that have come out, which is always lots of fun. Um, yeah, we do enjoy talking about bad movies, don't we? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just fun just event on the shit that we've watched. Now, I, in my opinion, there's not been anything released at least mainstream wise which is what i'm going to concentrate on in this section because lots of horror films get released straight to dvd well straight to vod i suppose nowadays and yeah. you know it's low budget you know they do in what they can and yeah the end result might be like really shit but it's not really their fault they can't really do a lot better than what they're doing so it feels a bit unfair to pick on them at this point when we do bottom five that 
might not necessarily be the case, but I wanted to kind of pick on some of the sort of more well-known shit films that have come out, at least in the second half of the year, uh, most well-known of which is Flatliners. Oh, excellent, because I haven't seen this. I didn't actually bother to see it because I heard it was that bad, so I need you to review this because I didn't see it. <laughs> I refused. Okay, so I mean, this has got some pretty good actors in it. It's got Ellen Page, it's got Diego Luna in it. It's directed by the Swedish director of the... Uh, Go with a dragon tattoo, that version of the film. So you'd think on paper this would be quite good. And I mean, at one point, I don't know if it still does, it had 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, which kind of shows how Rotten Tomatoes is not as good as a lot of people say it is. Because I don't think the film is that bad. It's bad and everything, don't get me wrong. It's really boring and it would put you to sleep. Um, so doctors could probably prescribe this as a cure for insomnia and it'll work quite well there's a stupid kind of plot twist halfway through the film which completely ruined it and the characters are just a bit boring and it is shit but it's not the worst thing I've ever seen in my life let's put it that way Flatliners you could have remade it you could have done it in a quite good way because it's one of these films it's like it's kind of well known but it's not like absolutely you know essential and they kind of fucked it up so well done guys so yeah <laughs> flatliners is shit in a, in a nutshell it flatlined definitely it did it flatlined so i still have no desire to see this movie um greg has watched it so we don't have to that includes you listeners so yeah let's not let's not maybe support that remake because uh, it doesn't seem to have satisfied many people from what i've seen floating about on the internet <laughs> no um do you have any I do. I have a few, so I'll take a turn and do one now. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, w- I get quite excited about festive and Christmas-themed horror films, especially new ones that come out. And last year, I wasn't disappointed with the new film that was called Krampus. That was awesome. So I watched a couple of new ones this month, like brand new, fresh out of... Uh, you know, a VOD, as you say. And one that I watched was called Red Christmas, which has just come out. And from the title, I thought, this is great. Why has nobody called a Christmas festive horror film Red Christmas before? Such a cue for blood, and it's going to be amazing. Director is Craig Anderson, um, who I've looked up, and he's not um, actually done anything notable before from what I can see. This is his first horror film. Um, and it's about the summary is a mother must protect her family on Christmas Day from a demented stranger who is hell-bent on tearing them apart, and I thought it was terrible. I was disappointed. The whole theme of this is kind of a mother who supposedly aborted a baby, but it somehow got saved, and it was some kind of mutant that she didn't want and either gave away or tried to get rid of. Um, but he was then sort of saved and brought up somewhere and then comes back to haunt her and her whole, whole family and reveal this huge secret. So I have done a tiny bit of a spoiler there, but obviously there's a lot more to this film than that. And I just thought it was quite offensive in terms of how they have referred to this mutant who was an aborted baby, supposedly with Down syndrome. And there's also another character, another lead character in this film, who is also her son, who has Down syndrome in this film. And I just thought it was quite offensive on, like, disability, on people with Down syndrome, and just really disappointing and I disliked it very much. It kind of left a bad taste in my mouth and it wasn't fun or exciting at all. There was a little bit of gore in it that 
made it kind of into a horror film that you would expect. But like I say, it left a bad aftertaste for me. So I wouldn't recommend Red Christmas, although it does get 4.6 on IMDb, which I think is very generous. Yeah, so abortion's bad, okay? Mm. Yeah, mocking disability is also bad, okay? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, any more from you, Greg? Yes. Oh, I've got a couple more uh, that I'm going to bring up. So uh, this year saw a release of a film which originally was supposed to come out in 2015, but for reasons that I can't be bothered to go into, just didn't. So it sat on someone's shelf for about two years, which is the new Amityville horror film. Yeah, I mentioned them earlier. This is Amityville The Awakening, which was released by Blumhouse, of all people. Somehow they managed to release this, not quite sure why. And it's directed by Frank Calthoon, who directed the Maniac remake, which is actually really good. And somehow it's he's made this, and this film it sucks, really. It's really boring. Uh, everyone in it appears to be under very, very heavy sedatives, because no one really expresses very much emotion in this. They try and pretend that the house is really the Amityville house, but the first Amityville horror movie and the remake, and the sequel, in fact, are movies that have come out. So it's sort of meta in that way, but it's really just another Amityville horror film. And really, it's just another film about a creepy house and a character gets possessed and blah, 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 blah. Very boring. Clearly, people must have thought this was shit because they released it straight onto kind of streaming on like Google Play for free. Like wow. people didn't even need to pay to, to, you know, watch it. And they did release it in some cinemas, but I think it only made like about a thousand dollars or something stupid like that. So oh, wow. people it didn't like flopped. this. Yeah, it's just a shame. Shame because it's got like J- Jennifer Jason Lee in it, and she's a good actress. It's got Bella Thorne in it. She's not a good actress, as we will discuss later. Um, yep, that one sucked, pretty much. Yeah, it did clearly flop, and it kind of managed to go under my radar, or I man, or I actually ignored it on purpose. I'm not sure which of the two, because I definitely wasn't needing another Amityville sequel. Um, <laughs> So uh, I must have seen that kind of and just chose to ignore it because it did look terrible from what was drifting about on the internet as we've spoken about. So once again, Greg Knox has watched this so that we don't have to. I won't be watching that one either, unfortunately. No, you're missing nothing. Mm-hmm. I have another one. Um, so I saw something um, that, I, that just caught my eye that looked interesting by the poster and the title called Sam Was Here, which I watched earlier in the year. Um, <laughs> the, the director is, um, Christophe Derue, um, who I don't think has done anything notable that I, that I would know of before. Um, it's about a 40 something door to door salesman called Sam who travels through some inhabited zones of the Californian desert in 1998 and there's a strange glow in the sky and he's in search of clients but everything's deserted and no one will answer his phone calls and then his car breaks down and he becomes a prisoner of uh, an empty hostile environment um so it's just very strange i'm not quite sure what it was supposed to be when i watched it some kind of paranoid identity crisis it's supposed to be a horror film in theory it looked interesting by the poster 
but uh, I'm honestly just not sure what happened when I watched this entire film and can't say that it had anything in it that I was remotely interested in. There's a guy in it, the lead actor who plays Sam, is called Rusty Joyner, so <laughs> I guess that about sums up the film. It was rusty <laughs> as a concept. Yes. Um, yeah, would not recommend. Again, 4.5 on IMDb. Presumably reviewed by the director's friends, I'm not sure. (laughs) Maybe. Kind of generous. (laughs) Very generous. Um, Okay, Have you got got another one, Greg? Yes, I have one more, which I'm going to drop on you. Um, So this is going to be very, very controversial, so I apologise to anyone who is going to be offended by what I'm about to talk about, but it kind of goes without saying when I discuss it. It's Jeepers Creepers 3, which is directed by... Victor Salva, who is a convicted paedophile, so he has already spent time in prison. Uh, He only spent 18 months or so in prison, which is not very long, uh, for that kind of crime. Now, admittedly, his crime did take place in the very early 90s, so he has already served his time, and this, you know, would have been a known thing through Jeepers Creepers and Jeepers Creepers 2. However, because of the way that social media is nowadays, obviously people are more aware of his previous crimes so some people get very very upset just by even mentioning this um in terms of the film itself it's pretty shit it's a film that's about a well it's about the creeper obviously same um but it seems to mostly take place during the day so you can see the really really crappy effects in like the makeup and stuff like that that the creeper has so it's not scary in the slightest literally stuff just takes place in the middle of the day so everything's bright and sunny which is not what you want in a horror film a horror film the idea is especially if you've got a lot of effects it's supposed to take place in the night time so that you can hide (laughs) things like that like it did in cheapest creepers too um just really shit it looked like a made for tv film um rubbish just don't watch it for whatever reason whether you're offended that the director is a paedophile or whatever reason just don't watch it it sucks (laughs) i kind of wish that i'd watch this film just to possibly contribute contribute towards my bottom five list for this year um but i had heard it was innately bad and i did not get round to watching it this week unfortunately so it's just you that's seen this but i've heard generally bad reviews across the board and i did like the first two so i kind of don't want to be disappointed so i haven't watched that however i did spend some of my valuable time watching a couple of um typical b movie horrors which as you know i do like my shit b movie horror films but these ones were very disappointing and don't be fooled by the titles which do sound very humorous and fun i watched halloween pussytrap kill kill um which is by director jared cone and uh yeah couldn't really keep focused on that it's about an all-girl punk rock band called kill pussy kill who have to fight for their lives after finding themselves trapped in a madman's maze it tries to be like saw and it's really not so i wouldn't recommend that do feel kind of mean for slating these B-movie horror films because they do obviously seem like a director's first and early work and possibly a starting point so an amazing career in film for them but I can't help but comment on these because they were something that I cannot recommend at all on our show but do want to bring up because I spent time watching it. Another one in that same vein, Attack of the Killer Donuts, you can imagine what this is about by director Scott Wheeler. 
I wanted it to be like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, but what I got wasn't quite as good calibre as that, so it was a bad B-movie horror, but in terms of the fact that it was just terrible. And yes, it's about killer donuts, <laughs> so not much more to say about that. You don't need to watch these films, basically. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I think it clearly does want to be Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, which, let's face it, is not really a great film anyway, so very, very low bar to cross, didn't even cross that. So, yeah, pretty shit from the sounds of things. And I haven't seen either of those, not going to be checking those out anytime soon. Um. One bad good film that I did check out that I wanted to bring up, and I think that you've watched it too, was I actually thought that Don't Fuck in the Woods was a bad film, but I actually quite enjoyed it as well, because it is ridiculous and it's got that kind of teenage stoner slasher feel, and it is kind of purposely bad. So to a degree, I did enjoy that. If you want to watch a trashy film and you want to watch something that has possible nods to Troma, one of my favourite um, film company, you know, producing company, um, who I'm very good friends with, um, led by Lloyd Kaufman, then I think this has nods to Troma in that. It even has some of the actresses from Troma in that. And it's your typical um, just teenage slasher stoner horror film. A little bit ridiculous, but quite fun, you know. If you want to watch a trashy movie, that's the one to watch. Did you see this one, Greg? Yeah, I saw it. Um, the effects are absolutely abysmally bad. They're terrible. <laughs> like, there is no, no way in a million years anyone could have made these effects look very good. Um, I thought it was enjoyable, considering what the film is called. It's called Don't Fuck in the Woods. That kind of tells you pretty much everything you need to know. <laughs> Everyone in it looks like a real person. It's yeah. not models or hot, pretty young people or whatever. So I well, kind of give it points for that. one of them's a porn star, so you're wrong. But <laughs> one of um, them's a porn star. So model. trashy then. <laughs> yeah, a bit trashy. Um, but yeah, it's quite a metal film. Like It's a decent soundtrack to it. The dialogue's not amazing, but it's quite real, so probably ad-libbed, like you say. But yeah, I thought this was fairly fun. Not amazing. Definitely low-budget B-movie horror, but fun. <laughs> so moving not away from bad films as such, although I have a feeling that my opinion and your opinion on this will differ somewhat. Uh, the next one I want to talk about is another VOD film. It's called Dave Made a Maze, which is by Bill Watterson. And I hated this film a lot. It made my teeth itch. <laughs> okay, well, see, I thought this was a fun film, very creative visually. It reminded me of, if anybody's seen the Science of Sleep film, which is mostly made out of kind of cotton wool and cardboard and sort of like uh, stop-motion animation and... Um, kind of purposely looking DIY homemade props, then you'll like this sort of film because it's, it's very creative visually. Um, and it is technically a horror, but it's also a comedy as well. And it's quite light in terms of horror. So quite a fun film. I, I did like it. I can see why you wouldn't like it because it's not an out and out horror, but I thought it was decent, especially for an indie made film. Okay, it's not that it's not an out and out horror film. So this is to me the epitome of like a Sundancey type film, where it's basically about kind of white American hipsters kind of getting together, making really twee, really quirky in inverted commas in that really annoying way that American films 
indie especially uh, can be so I can't think of anything off the top of my head that this definitely reminds me of but it's what it's going for is kind of like a Wes Anderson-y kind of vibe I think or there's bits where the characters turn into puppets which to be honest I thought that bit was all right it kind of reminded me of something like by like Jan Svankmeyer would do the Czech director um, who does a lot of kind of stop motion kind of animation that part was cool but oh my god so many of the characters I just wanted to be like completely disintegrated into a million pieces because they are just so unbelievably annoying and grating there's a character in this who's a director at least that's what he's supposed to be I I'm gonna spoil this bit and I apologize in advance I wanted him to die really very very early on because like why is he doing this why have they got a character who's a director why is he telling people what to do like a director would in the film he doesn't die so I have to put up with him for the whole film he was so <laughs> fucking annoying. Yeah, kind of. An, I agree with you on that. Kind of annoying. I do like the way that they soften the blow of the goriness by such things as red wolf or blood and stuff like that. I thought that was quite interesting and fun. Um, there were some nice bits with some like um, killer creatures that were like, um, what do you call those? Um, the folded paper birds that they make. Oh, uh, origami. Ones. Yeah, like the origami birds and stuff like that that were like animated. It's quite magical and fantasy-like. And again, like a film set is similar to, I referred to my previous comments, there's a film um, brought out in 2006 by director um, Michael or M- Michel, Michel Gondry. I'm not sure how you pronounce his name now. Um, the Science of Sleep, 2006. And that is incredibly like this and stars Gail Garcia Bernal, who I think is an amazing actor. Um, yeah, it's kind of like that, but more with more horror elements. So I thought it was interesting. I can understand why you'd find the characters a bit annoying because it kind of was in places. <laughs> Um, there's nothing terribly scary about it. They could have made the main monster in it more scary, I think. A bit yeah. darker. It's kind of a bit Pan's Labyrinth in place, but not as not as uh, high a quality as that. Now, the only thing I'll say, the only thing I found interesting about this is that the monster, as you say, who's like a minotaur, is played by a wrestler. He's played by John Hennigan, who is better known as John Morrison or Johnny Nitro or... Uh, Johnny Mundo, he's got various different names. Um, but yeah, he's what he's most known for is having like really, really good abs, essentially. That's like his big thing. Uh, and it's unfortunate you don't actually see his face at any point during the film. However, you do see his abs, so there you go. So I thought it was quite interesting <laughs> that he was in the film. But yeah, other than that, hated it, wanted everyone to die. <laughs> Amazing. Some of them did, so you'll be happy about that. <laughs> yes. Another shit film that came out this year, and uh, <laughs> one that was at Fright Fest. Uh, so we're yes. going to cover a couple of Fright Festy films that we didn't get around to talking about on that show. Is Leatherface, which I think some people were looking forward to. I was not looking forward to it. I was very trepidatious, and having seen it, I was not wrong. So it's directed by Alexandra Bistio and Julian Maury, who directed Inside, which is actually a really good film and is really gory. Um, it's, again, kind of part of the sort of torture porn movement, sort of, uh, but actually quite a good film. Um, they didn't write this, and whilst the film is gory, I give it that. So if you like your gore, you will kind of satisfy that. Um, I don't want to watch any more Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. They have been two good ones that's it all the rest had been kind of meh to shit in various degrees so i just really wish they would kind of 
leave this franchise alone. It's dead. Move on, please. Yeah, I mean, poor Toby Hooper, totally agree with you on this, was very dubious about possibly seeing this at Fright Fest, didn't get to see it, was kind of looking forward to something that might bring something to the franchise, watched it, um, again, another origin story, seeing Leatherface as a child growing up, blah de blah couldn't really find anything of value in this film, again, wishy-washy, middle of the road, um, shits on the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is one of my favourite horror movies of all time. Um, again, poor Toby Hooper, um, did not really find this of any value whatsoever. Shot excellently, put together excellently, terrible storyline, nothing really that interesting in terms of the deaths or gore for me. Um, can't really relate it to the original film and just didn't like it found it innately disappointing so i'm going to agree with you on this i heard it was going to be disappointing and it was so okay so that's not the only film that we've seen since fright fest which played there and this was one that you actually were really looking forward to from what i remember of that show which is freehold by dominic bridges yeah i was looking forward to that yes cool um i quite enjoyed this one um what did you think well, so the original title was Two Pigeons, which you'll realise why if you see this film. But I thought this film was awesome. I thought it was really creepy. The summary is an oily, immoral estate agent is preyed upon by one of his victims who quietly moves into his flat and, unseen in the walls, begins a deliciously malicious campaign of revenge. Two Pigeons, now Freehold, is a dark comedy with a sinister streak. Um, I thought the guy who plays the um, victim who moves into his place was really amazing and physically perfect for this role, like so creepy looking. Um, I thought the actual main couple who were the ones that were then being preyed upon by this previous victim of this immoral estate agent's um, previous actions which have affected his, his life were a really annoying couple but you know supposedly on purpose so i thought this was great um i thought it was a very interesting concept for a horror film very different and some great build-up in this film um, very unnerving to think of somebody possibly living in your walls and in your house using your things without you really knowing and to have the main couple who were were unaware that he was there feel like they're actually cracking up and blaming things that happen on each other which led to the demise of their relationship um i mean there are lots of surprises in this film and you need to watch it to really see what i'm talking about but i thought it was awesome um i'm guessing that you didn't like this film craig what did you think no i i thought it was pretty good i mean it's a very well it's a british film and it's made on a low budget but it's not shit so the excuse that people can't make good films because they've got no money well films like this kind of completely you know destroy that fallacy altogether so it's set in one place you've got pretty much three actors for the whole film and yeah it's very very well done um the only thing i would say is that the main character so the person you're not supposed to like let's put it that way he's really dumb like how does he he not realize that something like this is going on the whole time he's just a bit stupid which i guess is kind of the point really because his character yeah. is a wide boy estate agent and estate agents 
basically are cunts, yeah. <laughs> from what I understand, anyway. Um, the only thing I would say as a criticism, the film kind of ended really abruptly. So yeah. it was going along and then it, it just sort of ended five minutes later. But other than that, I thought it was pretty good. I'd be quite interested to see what the director does sort of going forward. Same, yeah. I thought it's potential for great things in the future for him and really enjoyed it. I thought it was very different. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, another film that wasn't shown at Fright Fest, which has got a very, very interesting backstory that I know Rhea was quite excited about, is a film called The Evil Within. This is directed by Andrew Getty, who is no longer with us. He died before this film came out. Yes, indeed. So he is Andrew Getty, as in of the Getty Images family and, um, you know, millionaire son, basically, um, who I believe was a recluse and he lived most of his life. Um, I think he was taking a lot of meth and he had a lot of weird, really weird, twisted dreams which he put into this film and he spent an incredible amount of money making this film which then got finished um, after he passed away, sadly. And the actual summary of the film is um, a lonely, mentally handicapped boy who befriends his reflection in an antique mirror. Then the demonic creature orders him to go on a murderous rampage to kill the people that he loves the most. I think this was visually amazing because, again, he put so much time, effort and money. He edited this himself to the painstaking glass detail to be exactly as he imagined it from his dreams, I think. Um, And I thought it was very different. There's a lot of kind of stop motion added to this, um, weird locations and the dark creature and dark side of this film I did think was incredibly scary um, so some amazing features and scenes in this I thought the film starts off incredibly well visually, I loved the beginning of it um, and yeah I just think it's a terrible shame about the backstory and where this comes from um, and it's been sitting hidden for so many years that it's just fantastic that it's now available f- for people to watch it was incredibly interesting i loved this film yeah i mean there's visually a lot in this that is awesome like there's parts of this uh, particularly involving mirrors that is mario barva-esque which is high praise indeed like some really really interesting weird off-kilter shit where you're dealing with kind of different dimensions and stuff like that and there are some really i mean say visually there's a lot of really good stuff in this i just there's things about this that I just really didn't like. I didn't really like the main character. I find him really annoying for various different reasons that I don't really want to go into. Um, there's a lot of really bad dialogue in this film. So I don't know if the director, he also wrote the film. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But you could tell that maybe he wasn't used to writing dialogue, whoever it was. So some of it was a bit clunky. Um, also, yeah, when you're dealing with a film where, you know, does the person, are they seeing things? Do they have a split personality? Blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of those films out there. So, yeah, maybe this one didn't really stand out to me as much as other films of a similar ilk. But, I mean, I think it's kind of worth seeing just because you know, of the the visuals, really, more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, for this, um, apparently it nearly left him in financial ruin because he spent somewhere in the region of $5 million on this film. Um, it's a film out of obsession and a labour of love, 
um, perfectionism and I just think it's worth seeing based on that that he like had a post-production studio in the basement of his mansion he filmed most of this in his mansion um, and then he died at the age of 47 from a hemorrhaging also brought on by a long history of recreational meth usage um, so he never got to see the final cut um, but friends of his who worked with him heavily on this film and put a lot into it then finished it for him um, but apparently a lot of people believe um, it plays sort of a fusion of Nightmare on Elm Street and um, something like showbiz satire, Tropic Thunder and something called Simple Jack um, which neither I've seen but I totally understand where they're coming from in terms of this weird um, combination um, so yeah I mean I think it's very detailed incredibly different and like you say with the lead character who's not um, disabled or has a, a stammer or any kind of um, disability and he plays that character for this film which again in the same vein as one of the films that I previously discussed on this show with uh, Red Christmas um, kind of is dubious on whether that is moral to do that and uh, questionable about how well people will take to that kind of leaves a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth when you know that he's not really um, challenged in that way at all so I'm not sure about that myself and whether it does come across as very annoying and false in the main character um, but overall an excellent film I'd heavily recommend this and I think it's um, very underrated and not very talked about so it should be more in the forefront of horror this year awesome so, so that's the evil within now Still kind of video on demand. Uh, moving on to films released on Netflix, one in particular. So um, there's been a few different horror films released on Netflix this year. Um, so there was Gerald's Game by Mike Flanagan, which I've seen and is pretty good, but Rhea hasn't seen it, so we're not going to talk about that one. Uh, there was 1922, which is another Stephen King adaptation. And there was a film called Little Evil, which is directed by Eli Craig, the director of Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. Um, however, one film that we've both seen, and we're going to talk about now is a film called The Babysitter, which is directed by McGee. Him, director of Terminator Salvation, This Means War, and the Charlie's Angels films. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, McGee, I think that's a kind of uh, very sort of uh, pretentious and weird name for a director to be known by that. It kind of annoys me that he's called that. But fair enough, his work on The Babysitter is fantastic. And it brings to the forefront Samara Weaving, um, who was in Home and Away, but is absolutely fantastic in this film. I thought she was very likeable. thought it was an awesome um, straight-to-Netflix film. Fantastically shot, great characters, really interesting plot, and overall, incredibly good slasher-type movie, a great um, new spin on the genre, and one that I know a lot of people really enjoyed uh, very fun very sexy and modern yeah awesome loved it what did you think yeah uh, i didn't feel the same way as all the people you spoke to about this um anyone who remembers on our fright first show what i said about mayhem which also ironically stars samara weaving 
who I said looked like Margot Robbie, because she really does look like Margot Robbie. Indeed, um, yes. Yeah. Basically, what I thought about Mayhem, transpose that to this film, pretty much. I really didn't like this film. I thought it was... Yeah, it was trying too hard to be sort of cool and sort of video gamey. Edgar Wright does this sort of film really well. Anyone seen Scott Pilgrim vs. The World? That's how you do this kind of film. And this is kind of trying to be like that, or trying to be like Detention, or trying to be like Kick-Ass, or sort of a film like that. Um, Samara Weaving is good. She's better in this than she is in Mayhem, because her character in Mayhem is just there, just to be sort of, you know, lead female. She doesn't really have a lot to do. In this, she has more to do. And she's good. She's cool. She's going to have a really good career. I didn't like... I mean, I suppose the main kid is all right, but, I mean, yeah, all the other bad characters are so unbelievably annoying, which I know they're supposed to be, and Bella Thorne in particular. I already said Bella Thorne was really shit in Amityville The Awakening. Oh, my God, she is so shit in this film. So (laughs) fucking shit. And I thought she died really early on, so when it turned out that her character wasn't dead, I openly went, oh, come on. Because it's like, this is not fair. Why should I be subjected to this? So I'm not saying the film is horrible. I'm not the target audience for this kind of film. Films like this, I'm never really like, apart from when Edgar Wright does it, because Edgar Wright does it really well, doesn't do it in an obnoxious way. And yeah, so sorry, I just didn't really like it very much. Fair enough. I do get what you mean about the coolness factor. And I've given Mayhem my first watch this year and I really enjoyed it. I love Samara Weaving in that as well. I do think she's very much like Margot Robbie and I do love Margot Robbie and the the roles that she is in as well as Samara Weaving. Um, I find it quite inspiring to see actresses like that, like myself. Um, blonde actresses <laughs> in that kind of bad girl role are quite like that sort of thing. So for me, I think it's um, easy to watch. Again, ticks the boxes, fun, um, different, um, harks back to original slasher, um, you know, well-liked uh, film devices and themes, but also bring something new to it in, in a very modern way and surprising. So I enjoyed Mayhem. I enjoyed the babysitter. I did think Mayhem was quite like the Belco experiment, which was a bit of a shame. Two in the same year that were very similar, but I guess that can't be helped if two directors have a very similar idea and go down the same route. If you've already put the money into it, you're going to release it, but Belco got in there first, so that's a shame for Mayhem. It seems like a watered-down version of the Belco experiment after that. Um, still enjoyed all of those films, so yeah, I'm going to give that a recommendation from me. Maybe not from me, but, you know, hey, your mileage may vary, as they say. Um, So I want to move away to some good films now. So the next three films we're going to talk about, I think, are all really good and all worth watching. Um, So we've already talked about a film where you've got a main character is a young boy who's got a babysitter who they think is really hot. In one case, yeah, I would agree. One case, uh, not so much. Um, (laughs) Same, I agree. Yeah. And this is the second film where you've got a kid who has the hots for the babysitter and parents go away on holiday. This is Better Watch Out, which only came out a couple of weeks ago in the UK, uh, which is directed by Chris Peckover. And this also played at Fright Fest. And like I said, I really, really like this. I'm almost hesitant to talk about it too much because it is... 
how do I put this? So it starts off pretty much the same as the babysitter does and then it takes a very very different narrative turn and i don't want to spoil that because part of the fun comes from you know knowing as little about the film as possible exactly so yeah i'm not going to spoil this either but i am going to say it starts off quite similar to the babysitter as greg has said um samara weaving was a way hotter babysitter than (laughs) um, the this lead actress in better watch Uh, out australian women you know yeah, so this uh, the kid in this film would have absolutely, um, <laughs> you know, gone crazy if he'd had Samara Weaving instead of this girl because he's quite keen on the lead actress in Better Watch Out, but he he hasn't seen anything. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it does say I've got the synopsis here, which isn't a spoiler because it's on IMDb. So it says, on a quiet suburban street, a babysitter must defend a 12-year-old boy from intruders, only to discover it's far from a normal home invasion. Um, One thing I can say about this film, which doesn't actually spoil things, is that there are a lot of nods towards one of my personal favourite Christmas films, which is called Home Alone. Um, They reference that a lot in this film. Um, with quite a lot of actual discussion about the film, about things that happen in it, and then later on more and more twists that make it kind of similar, which you will learn if you watch it. And I thought this is incredibly clever, fantastic twist on original slashes that we've loved in the past, and a very valid Christmas festive horror film, the best one that I've seen this year, and I've seen two. The other one was Red Christmas, which was terrible, so I was very pleased that this was a decent festive horror film because that's what we need then there's got to be at least one good one every year because it's part of december i have to see a good one (laughs) yeah um i'd agree with that absolutely um i do find it interesting how you mentioned home alone as if we've never talked about home alone on the show before because we have (laughs) yeah Uh, it's uh always fun to bring up home alone especially in situations like this yeah i do definitely agree with the comparison in fact it's even mentioned in the film itself that like you know it was like uh mythbusters are gonna mythbuster this thing from home alone yeah because um, let's face it that's one of the things we've actually talked about about home alone is that if you really played that out in real life it could be a horror film because he does some absolutely appalling things to those robbers which are played up as comedy but actually it's really quite dark and sinister when you think about it so if you like home alone and you like slasher films please watch better watch out because i definitely think it's one of the funnest films that has come out in December and one of the best horror films um, in terms of Christmas horror that you will definitely see this year. So that's an awesome film. Definitely watch. And uh, interestingly, the lead actress and the best friend of the main character are the brother and sister from The Visit by M. Night Shyamalan. Okay. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool that they ended up in another film together. So I was find that quite curious when things like that happen. But yeah, I agree with Rhea. Definitely recommend this one. It's a good Christmas horror film. I haven't actually seen Krampus yet. I need to watch that at some point. Um, but yeah. Oh, it's really so. great. I would say it's on par with Better Watch Out. Um, but yeah, it's a really fantastic um, horror film for Christmas and I just think it's quite hard to do that without making it cliche or cheesy but those two films that we've just spoken of for festive horror are both excellent so yeah please do watch Krampus. Now Rhea what the fuck is going on in Australia because this year we've had Killing Ground uh, which I already reviewed on our Fright Fest show. We had a film called Berlin Syndrome which is directed by an Australian director not set in Australia 
And this year, we've also had a film we're going to talk about now, which is Hounds of Love by Ben Young, which are all these Australian films about people being kidnapped and all these horrible things being done to them. So what the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, especially with Australian horror, they seem to be so gritty, so close to real life, and that definitely goes for Hounds of Love. Um, I thought this film was spectacular. It's so dark. Um, the synopsis, I'll just read it quickly because it's quite hard to sum up really, I guess. Um, Vicky Maloney is randomly abducted from a suburban street by a very disturbed couple. She observes the dynamic between her captors. She realises she must drive a wedge between them if she, if she is to survive. It's quite grim. Um, definitely going down that kind of exploitation horror film route that we've discussed on many of our shows before in the realm of the video nasties band films that we have discussed previously um, from the 80s. It, it very much harks back towards that. I mean, I'm not sure where this when this is set. Is this a 70s film? Because the soundtrack does reflect that i think it's set in the 80s i believe but it's quite interesting that you bring that up because unlike sort of those kind of films the ones you're talking about or even films like i don't know wolf creek very obvious kind of comparison for a film like this i don't find this very gratuitous so things happen but they all seem to happen off screen like you don't see people being raped you don't see people being tortured or anything like that but it is definitely going on and what i like about this film is first of all it's incredibly well shot like the opening is this sort of slow motion kind of scene of uh, I guess a girls school and they're playing in the, the fields of the school and it's from the point of view of someone in a car and it's incredibly well done very very impactful opening shot it looks great the soundtrack is great um, they use um, a couple of really awesome songs that I like so Nights in White Satin over a really uh, key scene which is awesome I love love that, love, love that song it just makes this film it's just so incredible and it's over such a disturbing scene but it's such an amazing song so yeah the contrast of that is incredible yeah and right at the end they use a joy division song as well which i think worked really well also because i like the song as well it always helps when you like the song that they use um so great soundtrack choice absolutely um yeah very good choice of soundtrack very good choice of like uh, different shot types to use this film looks great considering it's the director's first film as well that i'm aware of um yeah just i thought it was really really well done very thrilling because there are points where you think you know where the film is going to go, but then they kind of throw a slight curveball at you and stuff like that. So I, uh, yeah, I thought it was a very, very good film. Very well done. Better than Killing Ground, I'd say. Yeah, um, I thought this was amazing. And like you say, very kind of Wolf Creek in comparison, but much more gritty, very real. Characters are amazing. Like I say about the uh, so the Moody Blues Nights in White Satin song, which really does make this film it's very eerie over the scenario that's playing out in front of you because it's such a kind of tranquil, relaxing song. And that song was uh, released in 1967, so that's why I thought that this might be set in the 70s. But as you say, it's probably late 70s, early 80s for the setting. Um, the wallpaper, the clothes do look very sort of late 70s. And I always liked the title of this film, Hounds of Love, but doing some research recently, I came across the fact that Hounds of Love was a song written by Kate Bush, which was um, 
released from a number one 1985 album called Hounds of Love. So I think that they probably got the name from that song. So like you say, again, that's fitting into that kind of 80s era. And uh, I just thought that this film was surprisingly just so amazing um, stylistically in the way that it's shot and the actress that plays the victim is incredible. She does this so well. And like you say, nothing gratuitous, so it is all left to your imagination, but just done very well. Um, so in terms of this being a very kind of beautiful but sinister film, I did love this. I thought it was amazing. So highly recommend Hounds of Love. Yeah, and great lead performances as well by the couple, because it's not over the top, but it's very, very sort of sinister, particularly on the guy's part. And with the woman, um, she's very kind of conflicted by what's going on around her and it's interesting the film's called hounds of love because uh dogs do actually play a sort of role in the film itself it's quite interesting that the film's called that as well so, yeah and they're they're also hounding her and there's this kind of um comparison or contrast between love and what's actually going on in this film which is more abuse um and even the dynamic between the couple if that's love you know then they're pretty fucked up so it's just kind of this whole weird dynamic and observation of of how their relationship kind of works and we've spoken about women playing part in being captors or uh, killers or abusers as part of a couple in kind of that enforced situation before and how they might encourage or you know how that kind of relationship plays out with a female there and how sinister it can be that's always very interesting and we've commented on that sort of plot or character in the past for our video nasty so again this is harking back to some quite traditional roots in horror that we've seen before but done in a very different way. So yeah, I highly recommend this for it was an excellent film. Yeah, me too. Um, so the last film that we're going to talk about sort of in depth is the most divisive film of the entire year, and it is Mother, or as I think I want to call it, Mother, by <laughs> Darren Aronofsky. So like, Mother, with an exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say it however you like. And... Okay. As I said, it's the most divisive film of the year. Um, now, it came out originally at the Venice Film Festival and it got lots of positive reviews and then a general audience saw it and they didn't like it and they gave it an F on cinema scores. Yeah, so not wanting to get myself in trouble and talk shit about general populace, but whatever. Um, I really liked this film, as I believe you did too. I did. I really enjoyed it. I genuinely think this is one of the most intense and stressful films i've ever watched in my life and it is gripping edge of your seat stuff uh, if you see it on the big screen or you know i saw this at the cinema and it does not let up you are on an emotional roller coaster the entire time you watch this and it's kind of it's a structure and a story that we're very familiar with um it's very traditional but it's a completely different twist on that and you would not realise the underlying storyline or connotations until you've watched the whole thing. It wasn't until I walked out of the cinema that I realised what this whole thing harked back to and it is very traditional and it's just a relentless film and it, it is horror but it isn't at the same time. It's just like such a dramatic film and... 
yeah, there's just so much to unfold. There's so much detail that I really did feel this was incredible to watch. Yeah, so Aronofsky is one of my favourite directors. I mean, I love most of his films um, to one degree or another. So Requiem for a Dream, which I would say this is closest to in terms of intensity, um, is actually one of my favourite films of all time. I love Black Swan. I like The Wrestler. I like Pi. Fountain is okay. Noah, I've not seen. It just looks shit. Um, So I never even bothered with it. But yeah, this is closer more to, I would say, Requiem for a Dream in intensity and it's got great performances in it so jennifer lawrence is really good javier bardem is quite good and there are other people who appear in it that i don't want to spoil um Mm -hmm. and what i find interesting is kind of the way it's shot so aronofsky has done this before like in requiem for a dream for example he's got scenes where there's a camera literally it's attached to the actor in some way and it's pointing literally right at their face so that Mm. we can see their facial expressions the whole time and most of the film seems to be from Jennifer Lawrence's perspective because she's the main character. And so the film's called Mother, which is yeah. uh, very allegorical, as yeah. I guess anyone who's watched the film. It's an obvious allegory. Well, it's obviously an allegory. What it's an yeah. allegory for, obviously, will be up to each individual's interpretation. But I found the film very interesting, and I really enjoyed it, even the more fucked-up bits, let's put it that way. Yeah, there were some very fucked-up bits, very intense scenes. Overall, without spoiling it too much, there's hu- there are huge elements in this film of destruction, of mankind, of the world itself, and it does make you think on such a deeper level in terms of that. Obviously, with the title of Mother, you might guess that she wants to become a mother, or she will become a mother, or there may be some pregnancy involved, and I feel like that adds this whole other stressful entity to that, is all those elements of her either wanting that, doing that, being that. Um, It's such a delicate thing, it's such a a delicate process of life and human beings and new life being born um, and all in this stressful, destructive kind of thematic situation um, which again, I'm not spoiling it but that's where all the stress came from for me and it's just such a disruptive film that you just can't believe what's playing out in front of you and probably every homeowner or mother's worst nightmare watching this (laughs) so amazing amazing film and like I say it does not let up you don't even have time to get bored or you know lose focus on this film you'll just be literally glued to it Mm, I mean we both really really like the film now, I'm curious as to your opinion on this. Why do you think some people really, really take against this film? Because if the film was shit, I could understand. Like, if it was badly made, it was badly acted, special effects were terrible, whatever, I could understand that. Or if it was like The Devil Inside, where it's got no ending, or you have to go on the internet to see the ending. So I could probably understand that, but I really am genuinely confused as to why people don't like it. And maybe the only thing I can think of is just the intensity of it. Do people not like intense films? Uh, Do you know, I can't really figure out why people hate it so much either. I think it's um, the whole surreal art house kind of sort of visual and structure to it. And I had tried to read up on some of the bad reviews and it says that um, somebody said it's the the harshest, most aggressively unpleasant experience to watch this film. 
Um, and it's an unbelievable satire of fame, which I can kind of see that on the surface that's what this looks like. Um, some people have even said that this is worse than the Emoji movie, which I find incredibly difficult to believe. Yeah, it's but not. I, yeah, <laughs> Greg's watched that just so we don't have to, because I'm definitely not watching the Emoji movie. But um, I don't know, to have such conflicting reviews is just very unusual for a film. Usually it's one or the other. But I think a lot of people found it way too stressful with, like... Um, kind of baby, you know, birth mother themes that uh, have very uncomfortable um, scenarios and destructive um, scenes play now. And I think that's against most people's morals and human nature anyway. But the point of this film is that it's uncomfortable. So the fact that people find it uncomfortable and dislike it, I can kind of understand, but then they're missing the point and the underlying messages and storyline. Um, I just think this is one of those Marmite films. People hate it. People love it. There's very little in between. Maybe that's a sign of a good movie, actually. Yeah, because it's interesting, because the last film that came out that was so divisive was Only God Forgives, but I can understand why people didn't like Only God Forgives, because it's quite slow, there's not a lot of dialogue in it, and things like that. So, yeah, and considering it's from a director who just made Drive, this is very, very different from Drive. So, yeah, I can totally understand people disliking it. But the thing is, Mother isn't even slow. It's not slow. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's very confrontational, I guess, maybe. And yeah. like. I think I agree with you, actually. I think the whole point of the movie is that it's confrontational and you have to kind of take what you want out of the film. It's not a film that you can just sort of passively watch, I think. Yeah, and I think people just don't like, as you say, confrontational is an excellent way to describe it and people don't like confrontation and they don't want to see negative things about birth and new life and babies and pregnancy and a lot of these themes do come into that film very heavily. People don't want to think about the destruction of mankind but it's such a huge topic and something we need to think about as human beings on the earth that it's great it's tackled in this film, however other people obviously do not view it that way they just find it incredibly stressful but that's the point of this film so yeah that's all i have to say about this i loved it that was awesome yes um so are there any films that we haven't mentioned that you wanted to just quickly recommend to the listeners yeah, I mean, I'll reel off a few from my list. I just have a very small selection. So I've already mentioned Mayhem, which I quite enjoyed. Um, oh, actually, I've just realised one that we hadn't discussed. We hadn't discussed 68 Kill, had we? No. So, you, uh, yeah, tell us about 68 Kill then. I shall do. Um, so I just recently watched this. Um, and this was also on at Fright Fest, but I didn't get to watch it. Now, before I watched this, I was kind of dubious, but I absolutely loved this. It's not strictly a horror film, but there's a lot of gore in it. Um, it feels like a horror film to me, but it's also kind of a crime film. So uh, the synopsis is a punk rock after hours film about femininity, masculinity and the theft of $68,000. It's directed by Trent Hager. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, it stars Matthew Gray Goobler, Annalyn McCord, who is a little bit like um, 
a more crazy version of like Margot Robbie or the other actress that we mentioned from The Babysitter just previously. Um, what she called? Samara Weaving. Samara Weaving, yeah. So um, I thought this was an awesome film. Um, and the characters are very likable. Um, they're like love stories or more like a love triangle kind of playing out throughout this theft heist sort of plot and um, the main lead female and the guy who's her boyfriend who's kind of um, abused by her, he's more of a victim, Um, they have a really interesting dynamic and it's great that they've got this strong female who's like so sadistic and dark and there's very little that she won't do so I just found that very interesting. And yeah, I'd highly recommend this film. Have you seen it, Greg? Yeah, I saw it because uh, I'm not going to like, I like Anna Lynn McCord. I think she's very pretty. So, uh, <laughs> and talented yeah. too. She's very good. And she's very good she's in this. She's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. I thought it was pretty good. Awesome. And um, besides that, I also watched The Law this year, um, which is a dark, I think it's originally a Polish film. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, so the Polish title is Koki Dancingu, <laughs> which translates as the the law, and it's a dark mermaid film um, where a pair of mermaid sisters are adopted into cabaret, and one of them seeks love with humans, and the other one hungers to dine on humans. So a little bit like I guess a cannibal dark mermaid film, visually stunning, very dark, kind of reminds me of Neon Demon in aspects of it. Um, but a much darker version of Splash as well. Uh, I thought this was really interesting and I would highly recommend it. Uh, it's a little bit um, of, sort of in the same ilk as Raw, the Cannibal Sisters movie as well, um, which actually came out after the law. Um, but I loved it and thought this was a film well worth watching this year. Did you see the law? I haven't actually, no, so I can't comment. Oh, okay, awesome. Well, this is definitely one to watch this year. Besides that, we also spoke um, greatly of this whole is it horror, isn't it horror, post-horror theme of this year, which is a lot of films that have that kind of um, structure to it or some nods or sense of horror but aren't actually described as a horror film. So I have a few of those that I thought were dark enough to be some of my most well-liked films of this year but may not necessarily fit into the genre that I'd like to mention. So one of those is the latest film written by and starring Greg Sestero, um, Tommy Wiseau, of director of The Room fame um, and they've also brought out a new film called The Disaster Artist all about Tommy Wiseau and Greg um, but they've made a new film this year called Best Friends or Fiends as the R is in brackets and this is a very dark comedy thriller um, where the synopsis is a homeless man befriends a quirky mortician an unlikely business par- partnership is then formed which leads to paranoia and a road trip so that's what the film is in a nutshell basically set in a mortician's parlour And I just thought that this film was incredible um, and very dark as well, so I'd recommend that. I've also recently watched the um, latest George Clooney written Coen Brothers film called Suburbicon, 
which has a lot of horror elements in it, but is also like a crime drama mystery, but very dark. And it's also very period. It's set in the 50s. Stars Matt Damon, Julianne Moore and Oscar Isaac. Um, and I thought this was incredibly clever. Um, and I loved this film. I thought it was awesome. So I'd highly recommend that. And one last very dark um, comedy drama film that I just watched this week is called Brigsby Bear which is um, basically set around a children's TV show produced for one guy called James. And when the show abruptly finishes, his life changes forever, and then he sets out to finish the story. So he basically has to begin life again, but I won't spoil it and tell you why that is. It's a reasonably feel-good film, and not necessarily a horror film, but it's got very dark connotations. And even the fact that it's based around this TV show, uh, which is a kids tv show about a bear is quite dark itself as well think teddy rookspin gone dark think elements of bubble boy if anybody's seen that film and think gummy bears but dark and twisted um mixed with napoleon dynamite and then you've got brigsby bear so i would highly recommend that by dave mccary um and oh yeah i did forget to mention that best friends was directed by justin mcgregor but written by greg and the tommy acting in the film as well so those are my final recommendations greg what would you like to recommend that we haven't discussed on the show okay so i have three in total um so the first one of these is creep 2 which is once again directed by Patrick Bryce, who also directed Creep. He's not in it this time uh, for reasons that anyone who's seen Creep will understand, although it does once again start Mark Duplass as the creep of the main title. And it's a found footage film, but it's very different from a standard found footage film. It's more like a character study. And really, you have to have seen Creep before you see Creep 2, otherwise it won't really make sense. Uh, once again, Peach Fuzz does make an appearance, um, which is the Welv mask that Mark Duplass's character wears, which is very, very unnerving, I'm not going to lie. Um, it's not really as straight, like, typical kind of found footage type of film as the first one, so there aren't as many sort of cheap jump scares. Um, it's more sort of a slow burn, which might put people off, but I think it's very, very much worth it. It's very, very well acted did as well so recommend that one second film i'm going to talk about is a film called the transfiguration which is again a kind of low budget american sort of horror film sort of more like a hood drama type film it's about this kid who lives in the ghetto who's obsessed with vampires who thinks he is a vampire so he goes around killing people sort of once a month because he thinks that he needs to drink their blood and you're unsure whether he is or he's not actually a vampire. It's kind of done in a very sort of way where you're not really sure, like I said, if he is or isn't a vampire. So it's not done in an obvious horror way. It's done more in the style of something like Moonlight, which I've seen this film compared to. Because again, because of the hood elements, um, he meets a girl who becomes his girlfriend and they have a kind of quite interesting relationship. And yeah, I just thought for, I thought it was quite good. This has got some sort of sniffy reviews, but I'm not really sure why. Um, again, it is quite slow, so it may not be to everyone's taste, but I thought 
it was kind of worth it. It's sort of, again, not really straight horror. It's got horror elements. He does openly sort of talk about vampire films because he's a big fan. So he does mention stuff like Martin and Let the Right One In and Nosferatu. Even Twilight comes up at some point, <laughs> which I thought was quite interesting. Oh, there is one scene in the film that would be very, very interesting to know what your opinion is because... It's uh, something that has actually happened to me before. Not the exact same film, but it's basically, oh, do you want to come to my place to watch a film? It's quite interesting, the film that the main character chooses. Let's put it that way, but I won't spoil it. And finally, (laughs) I am a subscriber to Shudder, and there's a few kind of cool films that kind of came out on Shudder this year. But there's one that I'm going to talk about that actually played at Fright Fest last year which is found footage 3d now you would expect i'd probably hate a film like this it's about a film crew whose aim is to make the first 3d found footage film and that's basically it and they go to this sort of house in the middle of nowhere and they kind of start shooting the film and there's obviously tensions between different people in the cast and crew because of one reason or another and i actually quite enjoyed this I think it's sort of similar to Scream in that it's deconstructing the subgenre that it's talking about whilst also having the cliches at the same time. So it's got kind of a cheap jump scares. It's got kind of the camera moving about a lot, which will make people dizzy if they've got motion sickness or whatever. It's got the jump scare right at the end, which a lot of these found footage films do. And yeah, I just really liked it. I wouldn't say it's the best film I've ever seen in my life or anything, but as far as found footage films go, I really liked it. So that's sort of my last kind of full-on recommendation. So Ria, would you uh, be interested in seeing all of those, any of those? Yeah, I mean, I really loved Creep, so I definitely want to see that. Um, You definitely sold Transfiguration to me. Um, And what what were the titles of the other ones? So found footage 3D. Yeah, that does sound interesting. And like you say, I didn't expect you to like that one, so I'm quite surprised, but I would like to see that. What about the ones that I mentioned? Any of those that you'll be checking out? Um, The non-horror ones, yeah, like Brixby Bear. That sounds quite cool. Um, Suburbicon, I'm not so sure of. And Best Fiends, obviously, because I love The Room. So anything with like Tommy Wiseau in it, I have to watch. Oh, you so, have to see that, and you have to see the disaster artist, which is also awesome. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So that is a really cool place to actually stop for today. Can you believe it? The show's gone so so quickly. We've hammered you all to death with all these different films that we've watched, and it does lead quite nicely onto the next show, which is going to be up by the end of the year, which is our top 10 and bottom 5 films of 2017. Can we believe it's the end of the year already? It's so scary. Um, So, usual plugs. So, this is the Lament Configuration Horror Podcast. Uh, You can find us if you've just stumbled upon us somewhere on the internet, want to know where to find us more regularly, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on our Facebook page, which is the Lament Configuration Podcast, you can find us on Twitter at Lament Horror, you can find us on our dedicated YouTube channel, which is also the Lament Configuration, you can find us on Podbean, you can find us on Tuning Radio, and now you can find us on Stitcher. Can you believe it? So many platforms, so many opportunities to listen. And as always, I have been resident body count girl, Rhea Fenn, co-host to 
Greg Knox. Thanks, Greg, for all the hard work that you put into the show this year. It's been awesome working on it. Um, you should definitely check out our next show because I'm very excited about the top ten and bottom five. I can't believe how fast the year's gone. And you can find me as Ria Fend on Facebook, Ria F-E-N-D for Fend, on Instagram, Ria underscore Fend, and on Twitter by the same Ria underscore Fend to check out my alternative and pin-up modelling and my ventures into the world of acting and screenwriting. Um, thanks for checking it out, and I'm so glad that everybody's enjoyed the shows this year. Definitely looking forward to 2018 for horror, as it definitely is gathering momentum at the moment in terms of the industry and Hollywood. Yeah, so shout out to everyone who's listened to the show this year really appreciate anyone who's listened to one show even if you hated the show for whatever reason i still really really appreciate the listen um i hope you uh, enjoy the next show because it's going to be awesome and with that note i wish you a fond farewell goodbye nights in white satin Never reaching the end Letters I've written Never meaning to send Beauty I'd always missed With these eyes before Just what the truth is I can't say I love